Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This episode is sponsored by R.W. Knutson Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice, a welcome addition to anyone's sleep routine. Pace Case, if you know me, and you do, mm-hmm. you know that I'm yeah. working all hours of the day, all hours of the night. Mm-hmm. So the sleep that I do get has to be very good sleep. And I'm always looking for ways to up my sleep routine. Sometimes I'll read a book to go to sleep. Sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh, The Bachelor? Uh, that book keeps me very awake. It's very engaging. That never puts me to sleep. Mm. I will sometimes just put down my cell phone after a long day of looking at a screen. It's nice to get some time away from the screen. I also will incorporate some R.W. Knutson Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice. It truly makes you go to sleep a little easier. It's the thing you need to help you drift off into the dreamland. Mm. As more and more people are looking to prioritize sleep, Organic Just Tart Cherry is having a moment thanks to Tart Cherry's potential sleep-related benefits and potential to aid in muscle recovery when you get those gains like clues. We're seeing this in the viral sleepy girl mocktail trend on social media. R.W. Knutson has a whole lineup of natural juices with zero added sugar, so you can feel good about adding them to your wellness routine. It's all about celebrating those daily wins. Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice is made from tart cherries, which may help you get a better night's sleep because they have natural melatonin. R.W. Knudsen crushes only 100% real ingredients, so you can crush everything you do. Pick up a bottle at your local grocery store today. Clues. Underwear drawers, they're not organized. They're like the the Wild West, the final frontier of wardrobes. Mm. And there's no rhyme or reason to them. You got ones that are super old, uh, different brands, etc., You don't know what to expect, but now I have felt the buttery soft comfort of me undies, and now I want to replace the whole drawer with me undies because those are my now go-to. I'm currently wearing their long sleeve shirt and (laughs) my, um, (laughs) which is not what this uh, ad is about, but I am also wearing the super soft sustainable modal fabric thong with no roll black waistband. You want that. You don't want it to be rolling. You don't want it to be showing. And I'm hooked. I don't want to wear anything else. It's all got to go now. Well, this ad actually is kind of about that pace case. Everybody knows MeUndies <laughs> makes great underwear. It's in the name, Me Undies. But it's not just about underwear. You can explore the lounge collection featuring comfy joggers, hoodies, onesies, and a whole bunch more. And their Move Me activewear collection is the softest activewear on the market. There's no doubt about it. Right now, you can get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at meundies.com slash roses. That's meundies.com slash roses for 20% off plus free shipping. Me Undies, comfort from the outside in. 
It's the game of roses. Welcome to the game of roses. This is the game of roses. Welcome to the game of roses. Welcome to a very special episode of Game of Roses. Today we're going to be doing something that we haven't done in a while, but from time to time, we like to talk to someone who is down in the pit with us, and we had an opportunity to talk to somebody who is doing incredible things at the bottom of the pit. So we proudly present to you a new installment of... Welcome to the pit. Today, we are humbled to be joined by Bachelor Data, a.k.a. Susanna. Susanna is a technology director for an entire school district in Massachusetts by day, and by night, she is one of the most influential voices (laughs) in the emerging next era of Bachelor coverage as sport. Susanna, a.k.a. Bachelor Data, thank you so much for being with us here in the pit. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. We are very excited to have you. There are very few people who have the capability of discussing and describing the game at a level this high. And it always feels like when you get to talk to somebody who's able to do it, that you are finally able to speak this language fluently that no one else can even fucking understand or even knows exists. For that matter. So for those of you that don't know, Bachelor Data does an incredible statistical analysis of screen time, favorable versus unfavorable, uh, race representation in different segments of the show and screen time given, how it relates to Instagram movements and Instagram movements compared from season to season over the past three years-ish or so. Even things like breaking down If it's good or bad for you to have the uh, last one-on-one date in a season, and it turns out that's about 50-50, that's kind of a crapshoot, you know, (laughs) which is interesting. I think there are some other metrics that could be applied to that, which we can get into. I I just feel like I could talk about this shit forever. (laughs) At any rate, thank you so much for doing what you do. Also, in addition to this, by the way, she makes incredible infographics and data visualizations that let this information be digested in a way literally anyone can understand. They are beautiful to look at as well. She has artistic talent. It's fucking incredible. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, this it's been just a really fun journey over the last two years. I started this as this side project because I didn't want to take an Excel class to learn how to use spreadsheets better for my job. And I thought, you know, it'd be great to just start analyzing some stuff that's happening on the show. So I have some fun data to play with and learn how to use spreadsheets. And it kind of snowballed out of control over the last year. Um, But partially (laughs) just because the data just became so interesting. And I started finding trends between seasons and, you know, things like race and how you're shown on the show that... Um, it's pushing me now in new ways beyond just learning how to use Excel to actually be able to look at data visualization as an art form. Um, and then also try to start telling some really awesome stories around this data, um, around the show that I have been obsessed with for entirely too long. This is music to my ears. And, uh, I think I know a little something about taking it too far and being completely consumed by it. Yes, you do. Uh, <laughs> it's 24 seven for me now. 
I'm dreaming about this shit. I wake up thinking about it. I just immediately like wake up, make myself some green tea and start typing the next podcast episode or the book we're working on or whatever. Weird fucking metrics and formulas that like I devised one called the Rose Quotient. to deter- It's kind of like what you were talking about on your Reality Steve interview, which congratulations, fantastic interview. Thanks. The power rating system basically that you're trying to come up with. Rose quotients for us are essentially that. And I'm happy to share how we derive that with you if you like and and start yeah. getting into the numbers of it. But before um, we get into it, we do something on Welcome to the Pit where we tell people where they rank in the overall Instagram structure of the game and we've been using your data chart to do that. I know it's a little out of date, but as it stands, do you know where you are? Like my own account? <laughs> Yes. I don't know overall. Data. I, that's actually going to be re-pulled next week. Oh, I can't uh, wait. Oh, ooh, God. Thank you. We will have to update. I know where I currently rank on this season. Oh, please. On this season. Tell us. Uh, last I checked of the current people, I was ranked number five. But if you look at overall... Just because I, I mean, obviously I track my own Instagram because it's, I like all these numbers. Yes. Um, but right now, where am I at? I think I'm. You're the first the 20, welcome to the pit the participant who has provided their own data. <laughs> the 20th? <laughs> I think I'm in the 20s around there. That ain't bad. Well, wow. uh, overall. Based on your own chart, you have 11.7 thousand followers. And by the way, this is a huge explosive amount of growth that has happened in the past couple of days since appearing on Reality Steve. Ultimately, I think you're probably going to have 100,000 followers by the end of maybe not Matt James, but Paradise of next year. (laughs) I believe Paradise is going to make your uh, Bachelor Data account explode because I think you're going to get some very interesting metrics coming out of that. But at any rate... You have 11.7 thousand followers. <laughs> this puts you at, per your own data, which is slightly outdated, 273 <laughs> right behind Rachel Chen, who made it to week four of season 20, that's Ben Higgins, and Jamie King, who made it to week five of season 21, the greatest player of all time, Nick Viat. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I those those overall rankings have been really awesome to track how they go season to season, and that's actually... Something I'm going to be exploring in the kind of PFF, like those power rankings, is comparing how people perform each season based on when they're eliminated, Um, which is actually quite ironic now where I'm watching, you know, my own Instagram or even some other content creators within the Bachelor world that create memes, seeing how they perform compared to contestants and seeing how people can spend different things based off of, you know, are they on the show or are they not on the show? Um, like Ed, Ed is performing horribly this season. I don't understand uh, it. I don't either. I keep trying to point to different things that it might be, but he's lasted long. He's had drama. Like everything you could point to that could grow Instagram followers is just completely flopping with with Ed. And here's where we get into the subjective nature of our game. It is not about just these objective things you can point to, like screen timer. I mean, for Christ's sake, the man had a one-on-one date with Chris Harrison. Yes. <laughs> He's, he's lacking that X factor of charisma. It's exactly <laughs> that. There is an intangible piece of the game. You either got it or you don't. And Ed don't got it. He's just so awkward and just 
like it sounds like whenever he's talking it's like he's just talking to a wall like that's what his face just looks like all the time and you know you, you've seen in previous seasons like you had the Demis and whatnot that had the drama that did crazy things outside of their dates and you know he's doing the formula he's just he just is not performing well at all <laughs> Demi was made for the camera Ed was yeah. made for the not camera he's, he's just like we don't want to watch <laughs> oh him we don't want to hear him <laughs> And he had the opportunities. That's ultimately, I think, what your data truly reveals is that, especially with Ed, is that even given certain objective opportunities, enough screen time, enough dates, it may not matter if you can't capitalize on that. And we've kind of developed this thing called the four audience game, where if you're a player, you're playing to audience one is the lead, audience two is the other players, audience three is the producers, and audience four is us. You have to capitalize on one of those audiences. You have to curry favor with at least one of them. Good players do all four, like a Hannah Slusser or a Madison Pruitt. And if you don't, you're fucked. Ed Wastebrot is a zero audience player. No, he's a third audience player. I think that's what I love about what you guys are doing, because I am a new listener this season. Um, I kind of heard about you guys last season, but I didn't really understand what you were doing. And then I started listening to the podcast this season. <laughs> and while I'm behind... Every week that I, I am now listening to, I'm like, this is basically like ESPN, where you listen to the commentators who are explaining why things are happening the way that they are in a game format. And and it's just like that. I just wish that I could have you guys live during the episode, giving the play-by-play. We tried to do that. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's, it's difficult to do. But the end version of what we are doing is a daily show that is like Sports Center, because I think there's enough news in the Bachelor world now. I really became aware of it this past week that you can do a daily show on this easily, even when it's not in season. There's enough stuff happening on Instagram and in the social media world where you can get interviews with players, whatever. I'll say this before we even begin our interview. Our goal is to be having a daily Sports <laughs> Center style show, and we feel like what you're doing is a huge part of that. And I'm just going to ask you this right now. No, up we've front. done our best to collect our own data, but it's nowhere near on the level that you're doing. <laughs> but we do have an entire body of data from all Bachelor seasons that is specific to gameplay. We don't have screen time and stuff like that, but all the things that we talk about in the show, the different plays you can make, we have cataloged all of them literally through all 24 seasons. And we're now going through that for a book we're writing. But um, let me ask you this. You have many jobs. You're obviously very talented. Would you ever consider doing specifically bachelor data as your only job? (laughs) Well, I love my job right now. Um, I used to be an elementary teacher. Um, So I taught third grade um, and then I became a technology specialist, which ended up becoming a technology director position. And I think what I love so much about that job is that I kind of get to have my hands in a lot of places where I can kind of be bouncing around and doing everything from data analysis for my district, which surprise, surprise, I do that there too, um, to supporting educators, to creating videos on how to do different things to dropping into classes and sometimes even be able to teach kids how to code. So I kind of get to do it all. Um, and that's kind of what I like. I like to be able to help people and kind of bounce around and, and things like this just help me stay invigorated. Like I am able to do this at night and have fun with it and play with it. And it helps me stay creative. Um, and then it ends up helping me with, you know, all my work stuff. So 
Um, right now, probably the answer is no, but uh, I'm seeing myself dive further and further into this and I'm, it's really consuming my life. <laughs> yep. Okay. That's what I'm saying. I can hear something in your voice. I think we might uh, we might have a different answer I in about six it. months. She's in, the take, she's in the 10K club. When she's in the 100K, I mean, you're going to start doing spawn cons. Oh, yeah, I think you can monetize what you're doing almost immediately, by the way. But I think that there is, for me, I'm starting to see emerging a bigger picture of this as an industry of Bachelor coverage. And what you're doing is an incredibly important part of it because the objective data is what allows you to really start talking about this as a sport, to really start talking about plays and to be able to measure success in the game in a way that isn't just who's my favorite Instagram account. Yeah. It's nice to be able to actually point to concrete data too, because a lot of times whenever you're, you're looking up back at a season or talking with friends about the show, a lot of it's rooted in emotion and how you feel about people. And this is actual concrete numbers that you can actually point to why things are happening or why they aren't happening. And sometimes even point to some empty space in between that data of, you know, like Ed, where you're seeing the, the Instagram followers, you're seeing the screen time, but you're not seeing what's in between. And then you can actually have those conversations about, well, why isn't America taking to these contestants or these players? So it's really interesting. I remember in the hometowns episode, we had been counting just Ivan had three portions of his hometown and the other players had two. And I was like, oh, Ivan's was way longer. And then I looked at your screen time thing. It was like, oh, it was only a minute longer. How is that possible? I did not couldn't conceive of it but it feels longer i mean there are other metrics to be weighed into this as well even though the applied screen time was only a minute longer than the next closest player because you had that commercial break in there it gives the viewer this ability to kind of like ah take a pause and now you're coming back and you're restarting that story again so in terms of the narrative thread he probably had an extra five minutes total in there because of the commercials and everything as we are discovering as we're going on our own journey deep into the pit of this your brain will spin out of fucking control trying to figure out what are the things you should be measuring and what do they actually mean but it's ultimately you and us are the only people doing this and i I think that will change i think it's going to grow but right now we're like the pioneers of it we're really figuring out like what means what and what are the important numbers and all that and it's fascinating to me yeah it's it's something I'm learning too on the post. As I post them, um, a lot of people comment with the right questions where they're finding like one of those, if is the last one-on-one date before hometowns kind of like your ticket to elimination. And another question that somebody asked on that post was, well, but did they have, was that their first one-on-one date or was that their second one? And it's through those questions that I'm also now figuring out how I need to look at that data as well. So as the community grows on Instagram, it's great because I'm getting all these DMs too of people that are helping me think about the data in different ways as well. That was going to be one of my questions as well. What other dates do they have prior to that? How many zero point roses have they gotten, which is a rose quotient thing? Zero point roses are basically any rose that a player gets outside of the rose ceremony. So first impression rose, one-on-one, two-on-one, group date rose, knock-knock rose, special roses. And those are allocated zero points. Every other rose is given a point value that is equal to its 
placement in the rose ceremony. So if you get the first flower that night, it's a one. If you get the last one on like a, a big night one, it could be a 22. And then you take the average of all roses or you take the average of the total value across the total number of roses. And that gives you a number and you want that number to be as close to zero as possible. The lower it is, the better you are basically at getting these zero point roses, which means whatever you're doing in play style is allowing you to say, this is an opportunity for a rose. I will get it. And so anytime you're presented with the opportunity for that zero point rose, you have to do what you have to do to get it because it makes you safe for the round. Anyway, that's a brief summary of the rose <laughs> quotient. I love it. I love what you guys are doing. <laughs> we love what you're doing as well. Oh, thanks. <laughs> We've talked here for a little while, just going crazy about data. Yeah. Now, we already spiraled. We're not even at question one. <laughs> Let's get to question one. Anyway. Really, before we start these questions, I want to I ask something that's kind of a prediction. Were you your high school's... More pre-questions. Yeah, it's a pre, pre-question. Were you your high school's valedictorian? No, quite the opposite. What? Uh, no in high school I actually did horribly my first year um so much so I there were a lot of classes that were at risk of not passing I kind of had to kick it into gear and was able to get myself back into the top 25 percentile by the time I graduated um and then I ended up going to University of Texas but nowhere near there I'm one of those I just get really passionate about things and really enjoy learning them but for me math class was always a, a class that I did well in Obviously. You went to UT Austin? <laughs> yes, I did. I myself am from Dallas, and almost all my high school friends went to UT as well. I've been there. Hook 'em horns, indeed. <laughs> Wait, so you went to UT, but you did you grow up in Massachusetts? Where are you originally from? So I was born in Arizona, moved to Texas when I was two, three. Um, spent most of my life in Texas and then followed my boyfriend up here to Massachusetts about five years ago. What city in Texas, if I may ask? Austin. Uh, and then I'm actually Brazilian. So for a good chunk of my childhood, I was back and forth between the U.S. and Brazil. I wonder if that affected what kind of TV you watched. What did you watch growing up? Um, I, not a ton of TV watched, you know, the, as a kid, like home improvement and whatnot with my family, there were tons of Brazilian soap operas at home. (laughs) Um, so grew up watching tons of those. So very deep rooted in the drama, but yeah, that, and then I actually discovered the bachelor when I was in college, bored in my dorm. And, uh, I just started, I downloaded Hulu and started watching it. And Jake Pafelko's was my first season that I found on there. Oh, um, season wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, I just picked up. I first pilot. Yep. Binge watched it like crazy. Got into the show, found a few girlfriends that also enjoyed watching it. And it just went downhill from there. <laughs> Are there seasons you haven't seen? Yes. So, oh. I haven't seen anything before um, Jake's season with the exception of, uh, what was the one that was on Netflix this summer? That was really old. Jason Mesnick. Yeah, but it was hard to watch. The God, just the way women were portrayed back then is really hard to get through. Oh, yeah. You're definitely not oh, going to yeah. want to see seasons you- one through ten. <laughs> <laughs> it is unbelievable. Like... There's just boob montages everywhere. What we have deemed the boob zone, which is just 
it's a huge focus of the show. <laughs> Even Jason Mesnick's season, I remember they would they would have Jason Mesnick's uh, voiceover, and he would be like, "She has really great qualities," and then it would just pan up a woman's chest camera. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas now we have what was it, Hannah's. Uh at the end of Hannah's season where the parents are describing Jed as having qualities, period. It's funny how it's changed. But yeah, I think that's probably why they make it so hard to find the old seasons now. It's just the way that women were portrayed back then, but also, you know, a lot of how we talked about women too that were on TV, I think has changed a lot. And I'm not totally sure if the franchise really wants to explore that in depth. We went on a quest to find these seasons. Seasons two through seven, we dubbed the dark seasons because we could not find them anywhere. And ultimately, it was a listener who took it upon herself to undergo the Sisyphean task of finding these seasons for us. She found them. We have since become friends. She is an ally to the show in our efforts to uncover all of this and analyze the game. We called her the Dark Seeker. Her real name is Grace Ann Parks. And without her, we never would have seen them, but we have now. We've seen them all, and we've recorded all the data. It's fascinating (laughs) to watch also the evolution of the game through these seasons. Things like the first impression rose, for example, did not exist until season five, and then disappeared in season six, came back in season seven in a strange augmented double first impression rose format. The every element of the game that we now take for granted as being locked in place of this 10 rounds, there's a first impression rose, two on one dates, et cetera, et cetera. All of that shit was developed in these early era seasons. And to us, it was fascinating. You're watching Jake Pavelka's season in college. So I don't know when you started dating or whatever, but do you feel like the show in any way had an effect on how you perceived dating and relationships? Um, if anything, I think it showed me what I didn't want in a relationship, (laughs) (laughs) which I I think is funny because anytime that I would meet, especially these days, if I'm meeting people that are really finding out about what I'm doing, they're like, why would you watch that show? Like, you don't really believe in that that's love. Right. And I I think I'm not totally sure what if I can point to exactly what drew me in at the beginning, it had to have been the drama, but I definitely, there were a lot of things that I learned from the show that I didn't want in a partner. I remember the first thing that I can probably point to in my head was that special with Jake Pavelka and Vienna when she came back. Oh my God. And the way he spoke to her on camera, like I was like, okay, so that is what they talk about as abuse that isn't physical. Like that is a red flag. And I started like, some of the words from the show kind of started to stick with me as well in a good way to help me teach, kind of show me like what I don't want through dating. Um, but yeah, it's, it definitely didn't help me with actual dating, but um, it was helpful in college too, to, you know, see these speed dates and whatnot. It's, you know, I don't know. There were definitely some, you know, I could definitely draw some parallels, but um, I don't think I've ever watched the show with a, I don't know, rose-colored lenses, I guess. I feel like I've always been pretty critical of it. Uh, Sorry, what uh, Susanna is referencing is they had this special after Jake Pavelka's season where Chris Harrison interviewed him and his ring winner, Vienna. And there is a clip of it on YouTube if you guys want to look it up. It is 
haunting. Uh, the way that he speaks to her is fucked up. And and he says something that like seems like he's like about to hit her or something. It's got that vibe. It's a, it'll send shivers up your spine. He says, stop interrupting me. And yeah. she stands up, breaks down into tears, and walks off the set. This clip is available in my highlights from season 14 on my Instagram stories. Oh. Convenient. <laughs> I mean, it's historic. It was one of the most terrifying moments in the show's history. And for Lizzie and I, we also watch it with a critical eye, yes. But for me, the thing that sucked me in, and I wasn't even aware of it really until Lizzie and I started this podcast and started breaking it all down, is that it's a sport. I watch it like I watch baseball or football, and I see these plays, and it was all there subconsciously. And then once we started this podcast and really started talking about it and breaking it down, I was like, I see it all now. I know why this is so interesting to me. And there's also an element of deceit in the game that the show promotes it as we're trying to help people find love, which is obviously not the case. They are trying to, as Rachel Lindsay just said, by the way, on Charlene Joint's podcast, their primary concern is building the next lead. It's presenting the next person that they're going to put in front of this thing so that they can keep doing it again and again and again and again, and they don't care about the fallout. So it's really about them destroying these relationships and hoping they can get a person who's victimized enough to be front and center in the following season. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> no, I, I think it's, that's the hard thing. To, I, I think especially Courtney Robertson was one of the first ones that I feel like really set off the trajectory of people really speaking out after the show. Um, I know when her book came out, left it, gobbled it up in like two, three days and read through it, but really be able to see the behind the scenes of what's going on and kind of how messed up it is. Um, I think that uh, you know, a lot of, there's a lot out there though, that people can read now to kind of learn a little bit more about the behind the scenes. Um, but I also think it's interesting too, to see how they play favorites. So seeing who gets the good at it and comes out really a friend of the producers and who comes out afterwards, you know, having their lives destroyed. Like Courtney. <laughs> exactly. Or even small things, small little punishments. The producers will dole out like on season six i believe it was a bip the last one where colton underwood is not present and they just have a small conversation between some of the women on that season talking about how colton underwood was Tasha. the worst kisser they ever had yeah why include that it's just a dig at him because he ruined their season it's similar to how they're treating Claire and Dale. They didn't have them back on the men tell all because although they have to uphold the idea that this is a real relationship because it did work, it is love. That's what they're promoting in the deceit. So they have to support that on a kind of overt level. Just underneath it, they hate Claire because she ruined their show. They, she ruined all the things they had planned for the season. And so they will try to punish her at every turn, including... I know this sounds crazy, but it's like you have to really ask yourself, what are they showing us in every frame? Why am I seeing this? And when they did the blooper reel, Claire did not get a favorable edit in the blooper reel. Claire was most of the blooper reel. She was not most of the season. And they had her literally just stuffing her face with food and asking them not to use the footage. That clip is included in the blooper reel. Please don't show me eating all these things. And that's the only thing they show. And that's what I'm really interested to see what's going to come out of, you know, kind of what you guys are doing, because you guys are looking at it from a game aspect that will people be able to come onto the show 
and be like Hannah Ann, who came out of this pretty unscathed in terms of how she's perceived with a ton of followers. Um, you know, I, I'm not a follower of her in her daily life right now and what she's doing, but I mean, she's come out and she's spinning a lifestyle off of this and, you know, didn't have her life destroyed from the show. So I'm, I'm really interested to see between your formulas and your analysis that you guys do to see if there's actually a way that you can spin coming on this show and play it truly like a game. Well, I'm very curious. I know you talked about this with Reality Steve about how Hannah Ann did this hard pivot towards cooking and stuff. And I'm like, is that an Instagram algorithm thing that you're making posts with recipes that people are going to press save? Because I've heard that that's a big thing. And I'm like, yeah, you do a hair tutorial, you do a, a four cookie tutorial. How <laughs> She has a video where she says there's four cookies, but there's five cookies. A Bachelor Clues made a meme of it. Um, but I'm like, Hannah Ann, Hannah Ann is a smart, she's a smart cookie. And I feel like she is playing the algorithm somehow. That is the cooking turn in my mind. <laughs> There's definitely somebody working behind the scenes with her because she, you can see it in her Instagram. I mean, and that's the things I'm starting to read into now to learn a little bit more about the influencer side and what they see. Um, just like that point that you made about the saving of the, the photos, I've seen it within my own Instagram analytics that the, the photos that are saved the most, which anybody can see once you just switch your account over from a personal um, you can see how many saves it has, how many shares, how many likes, et cetera. Um, and my posts that have the most shares are my highest viewed posts and my highest liked posts. So it's really interesting to see that because I've been reading about it. Now I'm seeing it in my own data. Yeah. Now you are an influencer. <laughs> I, I'm very curious about how that changes your perception of it now that you're like, well, these posts with this uh, color scheme are doing better than this one. So I'm going to do more of these you're like, this is what the algorithm wants. Feed it. <laughs> it's, it's really what I'm doing. But I'm also learning about like accessibility along the way, because just because something is pretty doesn't mean that it's visually accessible to everyone. Um, so I actually have a few people who have reached out to me who have certain colorblind, um, like red, green, where they can't see the difference between yeah. them. So I try to use green. Like and bachelor green. clues. Yeah. So instead of using green, green and red to show positive and negative, I try to use like green and yellow instead. Um, and I try to run some of my posts through accessibility filters that will actually tell you what colors are bad. Um, but it's this balance, right, where you're trying to make it visually appealing, be able to show the data in a way that people can understand it easily. Um, and then I, I use my own data to figure out, you know, what do people like? What do they not like? Um, so I found white backgrounds. People don't like it as much. Um, so I switched to darker backgrounds. I don't do any of that. When I make my memes, I'm just like, <laughs> how can I make a thing that will make people terrified? And then I post it and some do well. Some, yeah. Do. People have messaged us being like, this has set me into a, uh, <laughs> seizure. <laughs> Bachelor clues. Why? I'm trying to learn more about like, what these people are going through to try to pivot this, it is a legit career. And I know people like to make fun of it, but I mean, these influencers are all laughing their way to the bank because they're making way more than the middle-class people who watch this show, um, like myself. And instead of trying to look at it with a critical eye, and it is a lot of work behind the scenes of creating content and 
understanding what your users are into, what they're not into, um, and then, you know, shifting that without losing your audience. It's, I'm glad that that's not my job. It also has to do with what you were talking about a little earlier about these players going through the game as a game and coming out of it in quotes winning. And we've identified there are more than just the ring and the crown. There's also finishing top six. There's also getting a villain edit. There are many things that you can do within the game to get an Instagram bump, which is ultimately your real goal post game is to get that number big enough that you can become an influencer. And to answer your question, I believe what we are doing we already know some players listen to our show. I think once our book comes out uh, next year, late next year, um, I, I can't imagine a player not reading it before going into the game. I think it will affect how the game is played. And I think you're already seeing people like Hannah Celeste and Madison Pruitt, for example, just through the virtue of them growing up, having watched multiple seasons of The Bachelor, the game gets imprinted on them. I don't think they're overtly aware of it, but once they get in it, they know what to do. Hannah Sluss really was one of the greatest four audience players we've ever seen. And I think in Pilot Peter's well, she season- She was trained by Hannah Godwin. That too. You're seeing coaching from prior generations of players helping the other ones through this system. And I just think we are on- I think Matt James's season, for example, is going to have some of the best gameplay we have ever seen in the history of the sport. And I think it's onward and upward from there. I think you're going to start seeing seasons that have like four and five Hannah Celeses, not just one or two. Susanna, when when was the first time that you got on Instagram? Oh, gosh. I think I downloaded it in college when everybody else was. So probably like around 2016, 24, no, 20. 13 maybe, but I, I downloaded it kind of when it became a thing. Um, and it's been interesting to see how it's changed over the years. You know, when we all downloaded, it, it was all about the filters and now it's about how to make it look like you're not using filters. Then I started tracking actual Instagram around the show um, just before Colton season. Um, so this will now be my third calendar year of doing this show. So that's what I'm really excited about going into Matt's season is that now I have data on Instagram during the show's airing that I can build an actual trend because you can't build trends with two seasons. And I don't like to totally compare all the time Bachelor to Bachelorette. I like to try to stay consistent between Bachelor comparing and then Bachelorette comparing between seasons. As do we, because they are we are finding out statistically extremely different games, especially yeah. where things like first impression roses are concerned for guys getting first impression roses they make it a lot further a lot more often than women who get first impression roses in bachelor even just something as simple as that is fascinating to us um when did you know that you were interested in the language of numbers statistics all this kind of stuff was this at a young age i know you mentioned in high school math was always fun and easy for you yeah i've just always kind of been uh you know math oriented. Um, as a kid, I just always liked math, but it was really like probably about five or six years ago when I started, you know, watching this show. And then, you know, I've always been kind of, for a long time, I was a lurker on the bachelor subreddit, just kind of occasionally popping in and reading things. And, you know, I started to see a few people kind of talking about Instagram. Um, but it was kind of around the time that I started tracking this stuff that I really feel like I've become a person who just thinks statistically now. Um, so whenever I see something happening on the show, 
So last week, you know, seeing the order of the hometown dates and how they're aired, which we have seen in past years that the order that they're uh, filmed isn't always the same order that they're aired. You know, just being able to see something happening and think about it in a statistical way and try to think about how can I collect data on this? I think it's kind of a practice. You have to practice doing it for a really long time before you can just start thinking that way. Um, so it's kind of taken a few years now for me to get into this mode where I can just wake up in the middle of the night thinking about bachelor data. Do you think you're watching it in a like less soap opera y way now that you're like stats minded? Yes, completely. <laughs> it's, and it's no funny longer the Brazilian soap I, I watch this show and you know, my boyfriend could care less about the show. Like he he does now actually pay attention to the show a little bit more. Um, but he'll come out That's and very he'll supportive. Yes. Oh oh yes, he's so supportive now that this is fully consumed. <laughs> but he'll come out and he'll make jokes about what they're saying, and I'm like it's not about that. Like, don't listen to what they're saying. He's like, but it's a show. Like, why aren't you? <laughs> it's not a show. It's a collection of images and sounds presented by a fucking giant corporate media engine designed to sell us things. That is what The Bachelor is. Uh, I want to lay a little history out for you about the game in relation to Instagram and then talk a little bit about when you think Instagram started to impact the game for the first time. So August through September of 2010 is Bachelor Pad Season 1. Instagram launches October 6th, 2010, same year, weeks after that first season of Bachelor Pad airs. Then January 2011, we have Brad Womack's second season to wear the crown, started shooting uh, Season 15, followed by Ashley Hebert as the seventh Bachelorette. The season's immediately preceding Instagram coming out would have been Jake Pavelka, your first season. And The Bachelorette that year was Ali Fedotowski, season six, who just joined the Million Instagram Follower Club with a success I'm sure you're aware of, of her loop promotions. Uh, so do you know who the first Million Club member was? Oh, gosh, off the top of my head, no. <laughs> I, we don't either. It's information that we that may be lost to time. We've tried to pinpoint it. Uh, we think the closest we can really get is Caitlin Bristow having hit a million in 2015, but it might have been Andy Dorfman. We can't ever know this fully. We've tried, or at yeah. least through our uh, divination of you probably can data. know this fully. We are not able to figure it out. <laughs> I think, and that's one of the things too. Reddit has a really good way of just documenting this type of stuff historically. That um, you know, Reddit's search algorithm is horrible to be able to find stuff, but. Sometimes with a little bit of tinkering, you can find some of that historical data. Um, I've actually been able to go back and, and actually catch Ari's Instagram followers. There was an awesome user named Levin, Lemonfall who was doing it weekly, who was just posting what their follower counts were for each episode. Um, so it wasn't daily like what I pull, but it's something that I can finally go back to. Um, but there's definitely this. You, I, I remember... <laughs> yeah, and I tried to reach out to them and they've just fallen off the face of the earth, which, you know, sometimes happens with Reddit when people ditch their accounts. But um, there's uh, this awesome visualization that I did um, a year ago where essentially I took um, each lead and I just kind of put them up against each other to be able to see the number of followers that they had at the time. Um, and, you know, being able to see that Rachel Lindsay was just the one that dropped off where it, it, you could see this just straight line trend going up of like, OK, Instagram kept getting more and more popular. 
but then Rachel falls off, you know, not following the trend line, but then all the bachelors just kind of went up that same trend line. Um, you can also see whenever you add up all the guys from a season to see all their follower counts to just see, you know, as a sum, how are they all doing as a season? Um, and you can really see when Instagram is growing in popularity that way too. Is that all generally trending up? I would assume yeah. Did Rachel's guys have lo- lower totals than yes. most. I mean, I know she had low ratings. Yeah. Her, her guys overall came out lower too, but even with that, I mean, with any set of numbers, you have to go in and look at it too, because I mean, when you look at the bachelor seasons, that's when it kind of doesn't follow a nice trend line, but that's because some people go off to be the bachelorette. Some people go off to have really successful podcasts or pivot their careers in different ways that it messes up those trends. Yeah. I mean, we kind of came to the conclusion, Rachel Lindsay still doesn't have a million followers. Tasha was the first black player, as we know, to hit the 1 million club. We always just kind of thought that it was this idea that like, yes, the show has racist casting practices and has for many years. Maybe they're turning a corner now. Time will tell if what they're doing in this current season of Bachelorette and obviously Matt James season is something they're going to continue doing. But with Rachel Lindsay, to us, it really meant that it's not just the show, it's the audience of this show that is not engaging with players of color either. And we're seeing it this season too. I mean, that's been, that's one of my plans this week. Once the season ends is to compare where the follower counts are. I do white and non-white. So um, just because we, we also have a lot of other diverse contestants now um, is just, you know, looking at the top four, I mean, Ivan is really falling off, but also Zach isn't performing well either. So you kind of, you have to look as a whole at the data sometimes too, to see what's going on. But Ivan has had just such a favorable edit and he's just not doing well on Instagram compared to the remaining four. Um, Yeah. You know, name another person whose parents got a fan account, you know, right after the hometown dates. You you can't. (laughs) PP. I'm oh, sorry, Pilot Pete. That's true from previous <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I'm pretty I sure. I run several Sweet Nums account. fan accounts. <laughs> no, I, you're absolutely right. The show is doing everything in their power, I feel like, this season to give Ivan an amazing edit. They haven't even made like a joke of him, really, which is rare at this point. And his numbers just are not there. I agree. It's interesting. But all that said, if the show is trying to push in that direction, that at least is a very good thing. And hopefully the audience will follow them in that direction. I mean, there were seasons, season 15 and 16, for example, uh, all white players, but two seasons in a row. Yeah. And which was eventually followed by the lawsuit to ABC on diversity and discrimination, which they won. Um, Yes. And I mean, it's one of those things like, I, you know, a lot of people were complaining when Matt James was named as a bachelor that, Oh, well, ABC is only doing this to force the topic because it's, it's relevant right now. And it's like, okay, great. Like they're listening. They, they should be listening. We're trying to help them learn. We're, yeah. we're trying to actually make change here and help them see that they can be like other networks like BBC. I'm, I'm a big doctor who fan. I love watching doctor who and you go back and you watch season the first season of the reboot back in 2005 and it has way more diversity than any of our shows that we watch you know on ABC but then you look over at CBS where they are doing a better job at casting diversity and their shows are doing well 
Um, so that's what I hope. I hope that, you know, people will see this data yeah, and I hope love is blind. Them, yeah. I want them to see that maybe they, they are also being biased. Maybe, you know, look at their own following and see, you know, am I, how, who am I following and why am I choosing to follow them and, and look at that. Yeah, we totally agree. I, fuck, I, I don't know. I don't want to say that this is the show turning a corner. It feels like it is to me. It really does. But all we can do is watch and wait. And I don't know, Matt James season, I think will be very telling. But so far this season, really the Bachelorette season has been the most historic single season of Bachelor or Bachelorette ever made. Obviously because Claire crashed the season, but the way they are handling race the conversation they allowed Ivan to have with Tasha about Black Lives Matter, George Floyd, his brother in prison, I was, my jaw was on the ground. I could not believe ABC was putting yeah. that on television. Even the conversations they've had around mental health, suicide, these very serious topics that are affecting a lot of people in this country right now, they're allowing that to be in the show for the first time ever. And I'm hoping it's not the last time, but we will see. Yeah, what I like this season especially is that the the drama and the narratives haven't centered around that either is that they're letting they're showing these authentic conversations but they're not pinning it against the contestants you know with hannah b's season we saw for the first time them actually talking about one of those untouchable topics which was uh you know religion and but it was used in a really unfavorable way um and you know edited in a way that you mean luke praying before he went to yell at people (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and then it ended up being in a conversation, you know, sexually uh, sexually shaming Hannah B for the decisions that she made. Um, but the conversations that we're seeing this season, it's to actually help us, you know, actually grow on the characters and enjoy seeing them um, and learning more about them. And it's not some, you know, Ed versus Chasen or Noah versus Bennett storyline. It's It's actually being shown in a positive way. So I'm hoping that I'm hoping that and I'm hoping that the data will help hold them accountable moving forward if they don't. Well, there is a component of the show. Have you ever read 1984, George Orwell? No. You know the basic premise, I assume. Yes. A dystopian future where a big brother kind of media governmental agency controls what we think and what we do. In it, there is a moment that that is called the two-minute hate where everybody uh, in this fictional country stands in front of a giant screen and they project the image of the enemy and everybody screams at that screen for two minutes, then they go back to work. That idea of the two-minute hate is baked into every piece of American media that is made. You need an enemy. You need someone to feel angry about and yell at, basically. And what they're doing in this season, they basically got rid of that person with Yosef. He was your two-minute hate. He got removed very early. And now... All we have are these compassionate moments with people showing real human sides of themselves. And I wonder if that has some effect on the audience. We have started to see the ratings are dropping off this season. They're getting lower as the season progresses, which is not usually the case. Usually as you go into playoffs and finals, more people are tuning in. This is the opposite this season. I find that interesting, and I wonder if it's because there is no, in quotes, villain. We don't have our two-minute hate in this version of the propaganda that ABC is making. Yeah, and I'm concerned about that, too. I, I've been seeing that in the ratings, and you know, I, I've seen a lot of conversations over the last few years that the reason why they didn't do another person of color since Rachel's season was because 
you know, the ratings were so bad. People didn't tune in. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that they're looking at other variables, you know, like this is the first time ever that we've had the season on at this weird time of the year, in the middle of a pandemic, you know, there's a lot going on. So I hope that, I hope that the data won't, won't sway them the other way because, you know, I think that these are important conversations, but you can definitely see them reaching at the villain, you know, the villain side where they're trying to paint this villain edit of Noah Bennett to try to keep, you know, viewers into that drama i'm personally a person that i could care less about that drama though oh it's completely manufactured they did a very bad job of making it seem real at all but i to your question of will this affect what abc or warner brothers thinks about can they make other seasons i think it's in no danger because it's still even though the ratings are bad bad for the bachelorette it's still winning its time slot every night. So that means they still get to charge the highest advertising rates of anything on television that night. And as network TV ratings dwindle more and more every year, like all you can really hope for is to be in that top two or three shows of your time slot. And they continue to do that. Yeah. Do you believe that they can make anyone look like anything on the show based on the editing? I think the producers behind the scenes during filming are the the true, I feel like they're just the people pulling all the strings. You know, I think Frank and Biden can only go so far whenever, you know, you only have so many audio clips to use. Um, but I think that what the producers do with contestants, at least from everything that I've read and the, you know, the books that have been put out by contestants on the show, um, it really sounds like, the manipulation behind the scenes is, is where it's at. I was really interested with unreal when it came out. Um, the show where it was, I think the producer was an actual producer from the show and it's a whole TV show about this fake fictional series, um, kind of like the bachelor, but it shows all the behind the scenes of what the producers are doing to try to get storylines. And I think that really set with me of, you know, they need to have good content to work with before they can go into the yeah. editing room. Clues hasn't seen Unreal, but it really stuck with me. It, How haven't you seen it? Causing some horrifying things. I get yeah. it. I don't, to me, I like looking at the real document. I like being able to watch The Bachelor and see <laughs> through it to those producers sitting on the other side of the screen. And what are they showing me? You know, Unreal, I get it. And it's sensationalized a little bit. And some of those things are taken from the actual things they do. But I prefer to watch the actual show and uh, take it apart piece by piece to see what's really behind it. But in terms of Frankenbiting, I'll just say this. When I first, we're in Los Angeles and both work in the entertainment industry. We've been TV writers for a long time. And one of my first jobs was a PA on a reality show. And they flew in one of the people who were on it after the shooting was done to record scripted lines that they put in over the back of people's heads and shit. This was not The Bachelor, but I mean, that's a practice done in reality television for sure. This was early reality TV too. This would have been like 2000, 2001. So is that beyond what The Bachelor is capable of? Absolutely not. No, they often have people saying things on the back of their head. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think mostly they just get it through the ITMs. They'll be in an interview situation with a player and be like, so can you tell us how much fun you've been having on this Ferris wheel date? 
Yeah, it was pretty fun. No, can you just say, I've been having a lot of fun on this Ferris wheel date, and then they have that audio bite, and they can play it wherever the fuck they want. Not that the Ferris wheels... The- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they always need the Ferris wheel audio bite. But you know what I mean. Like, they can get them to say anything. And even if they don't say it, they can cut syllables together if they need to. And that's actually something really interesting. I, I've been getting some really interesting DMs from people, uh, you know, just casual viewers. But I also get some DMs from people who have been on this show. Um, and I don't, I don't like to share them. I mean, I've shared that I've been, I've been actually po- like comments on my posts, which is really cool because he's really into data. Um, but I've actually had some oh, contestants reach out from this season that were talking about their negative tone screen time. And I was looking back at the timestamps of when I took it and they were involved in a segment that was a negative type of segment where they were talking, it was either about, it, it was one of those ITMs where they're talking about how somebody's annoying in the house and looking back at it and hearing what the contestant had to say, it's now really interesting to see how ITMs that had nothing to do with that scene are being used to be put in in a different context. Absolutely. And that's part of the game. Once you get in it, this is a a huge part of the thing that I'm actually writing right now called fundamentals in our book. It's not just what you're doing in the situation. It's not just winning a group date or having a good conversation in a one-on-one. It's thinking about everything you are doing on camera and how can it be used in any other context and never giving them that footage. So if they say, hey, we want you to come and have a conversation with this other player about this other player, don't say anything bad or don't even do it. Just be like, nah, I'm good. Sit there and remain silent. You can alter the the footage they have of you in order to prevent things like this from happening. You can not give them negative screen time, basically. Some players are aware of it, but I don't think a lot of players are aware that that's even a possibility in this game. I think they just show up and they're like, this is going to be fun. We'll see how far I can get. Certainly they're competitive, but they don't quite understand that next level of the three-dimensional chess game you're actually playing because negative screen time isn't on you. That's the producers. Even if you do something horrible, they can choose not to air it. They ultimately are the arbiter of everything that's going to happen in the game. And I think most players just, unfortunately, they don't get it yet. They will though. I think they under, I think they underestimate the environment that they're being put into also. It's just such a pressure cooker in so many different ways. Even if you come in with a plan, like you got to be able to hold your own when you don't have a phone or books or any friends to talk to or your uh, housewives to watch. Yeah, I think they become really good friends with their producers, too. I think they start to trust them as, you know, their ally and and they trust that they're not going to be the ones in the cutting room, you know, later on. Um, But I mean, there's also people who have gone on the show and I'm sure that they've said all these negative things, but because the storyline lended their way to a positive edit, it's just not used. I mean, you even see it. I remember watching back and I think it was Peter that was actually involved in some segments saying some pretty negative things about some annoying people in the house, but that's not what his storyline was majorly edited towards. So people didn't remember that. Which Peter? Uh, Peter Weber. You might know him as PP. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was Peter Krause. I was like, he got a good edit. Yeah. But I mean, even this season, Zach uh, C, he's been involved in some edits, you know, having to do with Bennett and not saying nice things, but that's, that's not what people are remembering him for. You mentioned, I think it was maybe your Instagram story 
somewhere I think you mentioned this, but that you think that Instagram followers might correlate with spoilers. Uh, we are a spoiler-free show, but are you spoiled? <laughs> I am spoiled. So I started, when I started watching the show, my first season that I watched, spoil. don't worry, I won't spoil you guys. I'm really good at talking about spoilers without spoiling people. Um, I figured I you would. getting spoiled <laughs> during um, Brad Womack's second season. Do you think that the data does correlate with spoilers? Like the people with the most Instagram growth are the finalists? No. No. Interesting. A lot of people try to, I get people who are in college right now or it's a master's program and, you know, wanting to see the data. And, you know, I've warned them that through at least the seasons that I've tracked so far, which is not a ton, this is only going to be my third year doing it. I haven't been able to point to any spoilers yet through like final four spoilers or final three from it. I think it's because there are some of the big jumps you see, especially early in the season are at least from what I've been witnessing, they are tied almost exclusively to the like tent pole event of that episode, like a champagne gate, for example, Kelsey Weir got a huge bump that week as did Hannah Sluss. Now Sluss obviously goes on to win the ring and Kelsey does wind up in top four. I think largely on the power of her hoojus. We all know this. But uh, she, in that moment, yeah, that's when they run and jump on him. Kelsey Weir had the best hoojus of any player we've ever seen. She was in a category of her own. God, they were beautiful. Anyway, um, when Champagne Gate happened, I remember she got a pretty big bump. And so it really, especially in the early season, it depends on you generating one of these events for yourself, if you can. And or becoming a villain, becoming embroiled in a drama like Bennett, for example. Obviously, he got a huge bump after he kind of became embroiled in this thing with Noah, young Noah Herb. So it, there are certain plays you can make within the game to almost guarantee these bumps. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win or even make it to the final four, especially early in the season. It just means that you have attached yourself to kind of the main narrative of, uh, of the show. I think also... The, the later you're one-on-one, the more followers that you get from it. Um, early season, I, I feel like at least for Bachelor, people don't really want to commit so quickly to following people um, that have those early one-on-ones. But the later that they are, they I've seen that they, they just follow them more. Yeah. Hmm. Um, how do the people that are close to you, your boyfriend, your family, your friends, your coworkers, how do they feel about what you're doing and do they really know the extent of it <laughs> i feel like some people understand it more than others uh-huh um <laughs> i think my boyfriend's had a pretty good understanding from the beginning when i started it at how in-depth it was um mainly because when i first started doing this i didn't have any scripts that would help me with pulling their follower count so i had to pull them all myself oh jesus um which was a nightly commitment of 30 something profiles every night at the same time. So we had to schedule our date nights around it, had to take my computer on vacation. Um, So he's always kind of understood how into it I was Um, at work. I, some people understand a little more than others, uh, but it's always a funny talking point of, you know, whenever people see the data work that I do there, um, learning a little bit more about how I got to it is always a funny story. Do you find it difficult to talk about things that are not The Bachelor at this point? 
No, I'm pretty good. At, I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing my life because it, most of the time, either you really want to hear about it or you just really don't care to the point where my two best friends could care less about the bachelor, but they're just still like, wow, that's yeah, that's awesome. That's a lot of work. huh? See, I feel like I'm dragging those people in my life into the pit with me. <laughs> No, Susanna's grounded clues. <laughs> well, I clearly have never been accused of such a thing, but uh, <laughs> I've definitely had people in my life that have never watched the show that are now rabid fans of it because they view it through the lens that we've kind of created on Game of Roses, you know? No, I, I mean, it's it's definitely, I think my favorite text that I've gotten was this last week, somebody on my team sent me a text and was like, oh, we were watching and, you know, we were thinking Susanna should really start tracking, you know, what guys are sweating more than others. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I've converted you. (laughs) I would like to see that data. Like, are you getting bumps for a higher quantity of liquid? How do you, what even is that? How would you track, like, is it the amount of sweat drops on their forehead? Is it how many sweat stains they have on their shirt? Is it amount of screen time that they're shown to be actively sweating? How do you even... (laughs) Is the sweat getting on Tasha? Is the sweat getting into a makeout? Like, how is Brendan not sweating in those turtlenecks in the middle of the summer? Interesting. um... Been training at carnivals. This is something we always ask of anyone who's in the pit with us. Do you foresee a time in your life when you will not watch this show? I don't think so. I mean, I I feel like this has kind of transcended multiple times in my life now. And I just, it's that one thing. And I, people, again, people ask me why I love this show. And I can't really like point to a reason, but I'm obsessed with it. And it, it's just the thing. I just can't wait until Monday nights to tune into it um, or Tuesdays this season. And I think this is really going to be a show that I just don't see going away. It's just, I agree through the last few decades. It just keeps going and getting more and more popular. This is kind of our thesis is that we believe it is the next giant American sport. And we think there is a burgeoning world of coverage of it in this new manner, statistical gameplay, talking about it like the sport that it actually is and getting away from this idea that it's frivolous reality TV that's just kind of a soap opera, blah, blah, blah. Like, yes, you can watch it on that level, but watching it on that level is basically like saying football is just some guys running around and throwing a ball. And then you can also drill all the way down to, you know, are they playing on AstroTurf versus real grass? Is it night? Is it day? Is it this guy's birthday? How many kids does he have? And how does all that potentially statistically influence the outcome of the game? You can get into that deep, deep level of this shit in our game as well. And that for me is why I watch it. I want to know all these things. I want to know it inside and out and see the game so that we can hopefully alter the game and the way it's played because it's for me, one of the hardest things to watch is a real good player playing against people who just don't even understand that it's a game. Ultimately, I want to be seeing seasons of 30 players who are players, you know? That would be fascinating. <laughs> and I think it's coming. I think we're going to help do it, honestly, but Isn't that what all star would uh not oh, I'm thinking about Big Brother now, but wouldn't uh Bachelor in Paradise essentially be like an all-star season? Yeah, it's a different game obviously. The structure and format of the game is completely different, but I love 
Bachelor in Paradise. It's so fucking yeah. fun to watch for that exact reason. Everybody there's a goddamn player, and they know they're playing a game too. When they walk through that door, they've already been through the main game once. They kind of know what producers might be doing to them and how they're going to be pitted against each other and all this. And they also understand that this is their last chance for Instagram followers. So they're like, I got to do what I got to do to either make a big scene, to last as long as I can, whatever their you know personal strategy may be. Dylan Barber, for example, played one of the best for TRR, put all eggs in one basket strategy we have ever seen in the history of the game. It was mind-blowingly good what he did. And in the beginning, I thought it was going to fail. I was like, dude, you're going to get rolled by fucking Baylock High? Are you kidding me? But somehow he beat <laughs> Baylock High. I cannot believe that. Still to this day. Anyway. <laughs> uh, wait, do you, Susanna, do you watch Big Brother? Do you watch other reality shows? I do. I watch Big Brother. That's the only other big reality TV show that I watch. It's, I, I like the game side of it. It's one of those things like me will come in. I've always been really interested in like the human side of it and how people come in and what type of game will get them to win. And I think there's been a really big shift over the last few years that I don't think a lot of old school fans are liking in how people are playing to win, but people are playing new ways to win that game. I started watching the most recent season and then I stopped watching when Janelle went home. I was like, damn it. <laughs> I like the old school players. <laughs> yeah, I, I started watching a long time ago, so I kind of saw that shift, but I, I just find it so interesting. And then, you know, same thing with Big Brother is seeing how people come off the show and how they relate to how they were portrayed on the show and their different relationships from the show and then how they kind of spin careers off of that. Um, also fascinating over there. I don't do any Instagram data around that though. You're going to start you're going to start evaluating it though, I bet. I've started like <laughs> just instinctively like counting kisses in the other shows that I watch and I'm like I got to stop doing this. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> I think the only data I've done over there is that there's been more successful relationships that have come out of Big Brother than out of the Bachelor franchise as a whole, including That's Bachelor Paradise. Hmm. You know, we did an interview not that long ago with a woman named Marlena Weibel, who is the Danish producer of Big Brother, and she just did the first season of Danish Bachelor and um, casting director. Sorry. She talked very openly about a strategy used to literally trick the players into thinking she's their friend, even though she's not. <laughs> She's there to just destroy them. She called herself the puppet master. It was brilliant. You might want to check. I mean, they have to do their job to to create good TV so that they can, you know, put stuff out there. It's, you know, oh gosh, that's a, that's a rabbit hole, but. I know, like what's good TV? That's the whole question. Do we want to see people destroying each other? Do we want to see people destroyed at the hands of the producers, the, the context of the game itself? Or would we rather see these uplifting stories like Ivan and uh, his brother? And who is we? And that's the important thing is yes. because I, I feel like, too, we also get ourselves in bubbles where we think that we know what America wants to see. Um, and I see that myself. I, I actually tried posting my bachelor data on different platforms. And, um, you know, one platform lended its way to getting some very nasty comments about race representation. 
And it kind of put me in a bubble where I was like, wow, like popped my bubble. I I posted over on Facebook and, Mm. you know, it's the only time that I've gotten just really nasty comments about, um, you know, people not wanting to see race representation on the show. And it's, it's weird because I've kind of put myself in this bubble where I'm talking with people who are a little more progressive and, and, you know, wanting to see, you know, people other than themselves on the TV and, you know, different cultures and whatnot. Um, and, you know, I think it's also important in those conversations of defining who he is, because I, I don't think that, I don't think that the whole, I don't think everybody who watches this show is necessarily as progressive as, you know, this conversation might be. Oh, neither do we. I would say over half of yeah. the Bachelor viewing audience is not progressive and also views it as real thinks yeah. everything that's happening on that show is a hundred percent real i think the conversation we're having requires not only a progressive attitude about different social things that are happening in our country but an understanding that this is media this thing they're making is designed to sell you toothpaste and diet coke and that is it yeah no i've gotten a little taste of it too like i posted an instagram story about rachel Lindsay not having a million instagram followers and that it was racist and got some pretty nasty messages and i was like i bet this is just a you know 0.001% of the shit that rachel lindsay gets on instagram i was like oh my god they were like or is it just that she's unlikable and horrible and all these other things yeah i think it's i think it's definitely important that um and that's why i think having these conversations around data are, is why i try to do it too is i think if you can show this data and get people looking at it, I think it might help them see what they are not seeing um, or what they are rejecting to see. Um, you know, there's a, a lot, there are people in my life that, you know, anytime I start talking about microaggressions, they're like, oh, you know, none of this, you know, politically correct talk, like stop that. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things that if I can, provide them with some data to, to start looking at some of these problems. You, you can't refute the data. It's, it's there, it's in your face and you, you can't deny it. But that's my hope is to be able to get people to see the systemic racism and, you know, see the problems and, you know, the bachelor, but then maybe even start looking at other TV shows in that same lens. I mean, that's what's interesting to me about you getting that hate on Facebook is I feel like you're pretty much just presenting data without commentary and that they are just reacting just to the pure data. That's fascinating. Yeah, I try to do as minimal commentary as I can on the data because I want people to be able to look at it and understand it. But it's also now, as I'm learning about data and storytelling, how am I presenting that data? And am I actually leading people to different understandings from it so it's this delicate line that i'm trying to balance where sometimes i do want to point to it you know my weekly race representation post i think that's a really important post that i'm being very blunt blunt about you look at this this is a problem you can see the discrepancies um but other times you know be able to look at first impression roses um you know a lot of people are starting to post in comments or i'll see them share on their stories and being like wow, lots of white people and getting the first impression rose. You know, I think oh, that yeah. people are starting to see the data and I, I, that's what I'm hoping to get out of it. I'm hoping that people can start to see some of the systemic racism, you know, in the leads and the casting and the storytelling 
and the following. It, it, it's everywhere. And I think that people need to see it, recognize it and learn. And I'm still trying to learn myself. There's lots of reading and listening and learning that I have to do. That's fantastic. I mean, that's part of the reason we started to break it down as a game is this exact thing. We wanted to see, I mean, I was curious how many non-white players have gotten the first impression of us. Turns out it was what, two over a 24 season period? Uh, Rachel Lindsay. And Charlene. Uh, Charlene. And then what? Technically Catherine Lowe, even though that season was... He got yeah, to give out 12 first impression roses on night one. So it's kind of like, it's not really a first impression rose. It's one of a dozen. At any rate. Um, I find it impressive how much you guys can regurgitate this data back that you can remember it all too. I find that very impressive. It's the power of the hyper binge. Slash we watch every episode from season one to season 24 <laughs> on two times speed over the course of about a two and a half, three month period every day, all day. And we meticulously recorded every play made for our data. <laughs> for our purposes and now it's just in there and we're constantly writing about it and stuff too as we're working on this book so you're having to go back and look through your notes and now it's really getting just burned into my brain i have almost instantaneous yeah i used to confuse the season numbers now i think i've got them (laughs) i started making a song in my head (laughs) no you did not sing it please yes no it's 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 not ready. I will present. So. <laughs> I cannot. Wait. I think we're going to need a fully produced version of this once once you're ready. Happy to do it. I like to make music, as you know. Yeah, you can add some beats to it once I present it. I certainly will. But uh, thank you so much, Susanna, for joining us today. The work you're doing is incredibly important, and as I said, I know you're saying you don't think this is a full time job, but where we are taking Game of Roses, I think it could present you with a full-time job. <laughs> we uh, we are going to have a full-time job for someone like you. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm saying. But I really think what you're doing is just outstanding. It is so fucking fantastic, so meticulous. The way you're presenting the data, the things you're tracking, it's all incredible. Everybody who doesn't already, please go follow at Bachelor Data on Instagram where else are you at? I'm on Instagram and Twitter. And as of this week, I will also be on Patreon. Yes. What Can you tell us what you're going to be doing on the Patreon? Yeah. So it's going to be a few things. Um, it's going to be launching on Monday. Um, and it's going to be going in depth on every single contestant throughout seasons, even once they're eliminated. Um, because right now I only cover on Instagram once they're eliminated, they're gone. So I just keep covering who's on the actual screen. Um, I'm also going to be doing a little bit, um, you know, requests throughout the week, doing specific data posts just for the Patreon. I'm going to continue doing everything I've been doing for each week's episode during Matt's, you know, my 24 hour updates, my one week updates, uh, my special posts on screen time. Um, and then if it's relevant, like the history of hometown dates, the history of the first impression rows. Um, but I'm also going to be doing a little bit more about my favorite tools and then some beginner guides on how to get started with data and how to get started with some cool tools like Canva for visualization. Ooh, I've been fucking around with Canva for a little bit. I'm about to unload some new meme styles too. I, that program, I, had, I was not aware of it. I was using uh, PixArt for almost all oh, my yeah. memes, just on my phone. Like I make all my stuff on my phone, but I'm like... 
Should I graduate up to the, the computer? Should I get a thing? Should I start photoshopping <laughs> yes. shit or Canva? And so now, yeah. Like, so I'm going to be going over a little bit more about like how to, you know, make some posts for social media uh-huh. or infographics, but also um, some tutorials on how to use spreadsheets to to get people to start learning a little bit more about how to do data visualization. This is fantastic. That is so awesome. You definitely deserve to be paid for the work that you are doing now because it is top notch. <laughs> if I may ask, just before we go, I know again you say it's not a full time job. How many hours a week are you putting into this? Too many. <laughs> is it 40 is that i mean um well to break it down after each episode i do the featured screen time analysis which depending on how i'm doing it can be anywhere from three and a half hours to five if i'm having a really rough day collecting it yeah um but for each visualization i'll, I'll it'll take anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour hour and a half if if i have to collect the data for it Okay, so you're spending at least 10 to 15 hours a week on this. And now you're going to start doing Patreon as well. That's got to add in another 10 hours a week. You're already up to 25, let's say. Maybe that's a little generous. I feel like if anything, this year has taught me how to be really efficient with time because of you know what happened with the shutdown and working in the school systems, having to get so much done in such a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I've just become such a busy body. I, I just get bored if I'm sitting around. Fantastic. This is that valedictorian energy. <laughs> it is. That's why I said that in the beginning. I'm like, you're so meticulous. You have all your shit is just like, it's perfect. All your posts and stuff are like, there's not a, a pixel out of place in them. And I'm like, and she's fantastic with numbers. She understands the structure of all the stuff, the language of it. I just thought for sure you were valedictorian. My apologies. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute blast to be on the podcast and uh, really enjoying y'all's content. Yeah, same to you. Thank Uh, you. It was absolutely our pleasure to have you. And please let us know if we can, in the future, help you in any way with whatever you're doing. Are you suggesting a Game of Roses bachelor data collab? I think I've been suggesting Uh, it the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Chris is like very uh, heavy handed with the collab. Yeah. Absolutely. I can see it. I see the future of where this is going, and I think we are going to be working together. That's all I'm going to say. Thanks again. Go out to Bachelor Data, aka Susanna, for everything she is doing over at her Instagram account, Bachelor Data. Please go check that out. Take a look. It is very incredible stuff, very important stuff for understanding the game on a higher level. And thanks for everybody who listened to this special episode that we dropped on Thursday. We're going to have another episode for you tomorrow. It will be this week in Bachelor Nation. We realize it is Christmas. Some people are celebrating. Hopefully, our episode can be a fun little stocking stuffer for you. We hope to see you then, and we hope everybody's having a happy holiday. Please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us and then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us and then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us and then. Have you ever experienced a dry, itchy scalp or ever wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised? Well, 
Unfiltered, mineral-filled water could be the reason why. Did you know hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin? And that about 85% of the United States uses hard water filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in. Known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, Canopy is dermatologist-recommended. This unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free, installation's a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement. Go to Canopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, Gore listeners can use our code ROSES at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.